This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening. It's clock on Sunday, the 6th of March, 2022. You're tuned into Teachers Talk Radio with me, Paul Etock. Tonight, we're going to be talking about advice, both good and the bad. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and good evening from me, Paul Etoch. I'm having my second go at hosting the show tonight, so fingers crossed it will be a good one. I'm speaking to you from Crosby, north of Liverpool. It's uh, it's been a nice weekend here, um, even sort of sun for a bit. It was still a bit cold, still waiting for the spring to break through. Um, but welcome to the Late Show, if you listen to this live, and also if you have downloaded this on Spotify, welcome to the show. So it's been a month since my last show. It feels longer in so many ways, doesn't it? Um, I know last time I did this, we were talking about um, rumours of an invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And obviously we all know what's happened since then. It's been such a crazy sort of situation in schools. Um, in one sense, it's been kind of nice that we've had so many questions from students who are obviously really interested in what's going on. On the other hand, I think quite a few students are pretty anxious about what this all means for them. And I suppose we are as well. But like I say, there's a lot going on in the world and obviously in the world of education, there's always something going on. Um, I'm, I've been thinking about what we were going to discuss tonight. And as I said at the start, this is going to be a show where we look at the uh, advice, good and bad. Okay, Because one of the things about teaching is whether you want it, ask for it or whatever, you are going to get advice, good and bad, sometimes very good, sometimes very bad. So I asked a few days ago for some of the best and worst advice received by teachers and I've compiled a couple of lists along with some suggestions of my own. Um, and before, before I start going through the list, actually, I should say um, Alicia Herbert came on the show uh, last time. I thought she was a great guest too. If you, if you were listening, you'll know that she is a former police officer, has come into teaching. And I think the chat we had was really interesting. We had, she had a, um, a lot of insight from someone who's come into teaching from a different uh, background. Um, and I thought it went so well. I've invited her along again tonight, but to be a co-host. So we're going to be sharing the, uh, the hosting duties tonight. Um, she's expressed an interest in hosting her own show. So like I say, I've asked her to come along. So I'll just see if I can connect her now. Hello, Alicia. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Nice there? to be back. Yeah, it's gone quick. It was quick, hasn't it? It's, uh, a month's gone very quickly, but also a long time at the same time. It's very strange. Yeah, definitely. And so much has happened. It's it's not the same world we were in a month ago, is it? No. And it seems, I mean, I was thinking before about how in the last show, um, I was quite I was quite negative in so many ways about the job we do. But actually, we haven't got it too bad, really, have we, when you, when you compare it to, to no, what's happening on some parts of the world? Right, so I 
think we will we agree then we will go on it. So we've got a, a list of the worst advice and then you're going to be going through the list of the good advice, aren't you, I think? Yeah. Um, we've also got um, Laura who's joined us. Um, now, Laura, in fact, if I introduce Laura. Hi, Laura, are you there? Hi, I am there. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. That's great. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Laura. Um, I am not a teacher, but I... It, there's a thing that happens in sort of uh, boarding schools or more of the private schools uh, where they hire people who've just graduated uh, called gap assistants and they sort of uh, experience or you get sort of chucked in to see if teaching is for you so that was what I was doing at a uh, boarding school for the past two years Okay, that's, that's a little bit different to uh, yeah, experience. Very, it's becoming more and more popular, though, I think, because of how um, difficult PGCs, particularly with the pandemic, are to get on, because obviously it's a very popular profession and sort yeah. of uh, pandemic-proof. So I think people, more and more graduates are being convinced to go into it to give you that little bit of experience. Oh, so as, as things stand at the moment, are you actually in a placement? Are you training? Uh, um, I am not, unfortunately, because of uh, mental health, I decided to leave my PGCE for a year uh, with the hope of starting it in September this year, hopefully. Right. Um, but yeah, I was due to start uh, in September, but just didn't feel ready. So right. hopefully someday, <laughs> someday soon. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I don't think um, you're certainly not alone. I know. Um, I don't know if this happened on Alicia's course, on my course. I know there's a couple of people who, for for all sorts of reasons, would do a couple of months and then decide that they needed a bit more time and they come back the following year. And um, you know, they went they went on to do great things and they were, they were fine. So hopefully that'll be the case for yourself. Yeah. Um, so sorry, go on. You were going to say. No, I was going to say, I hope so. But it is, I think, with the pandemic over the past two years, it has been a bit of a strain on everyone, particularly yeah. if you then work in a boarding school. It doesn't really give you much chance to breathe. So, yeah. uh, well, that's, well, that's interesting. So it's funny you should, well, say funny you should mention boarding school. Um, I wasn't expecting that, to be honest, but it got me thinking. Um, has it, uh, how has, has COVID affected boarding schools? in a particularly different way? Has there, has there been limits on borders or anything like that? So it's very different because it, from my understanding of it, um, I wasn't leadership. I was I was like the bottom of the pile where I worked. Right. Um, obviously, I didn't have any say in it, but every boarding school seemed to have their own way of coping with it so obviously schools were suggesting year group bubbles um so i'm aware that what some boarding schools did was say have bubbles during the day but when uh the day students went home or um they then reverted back to normal because of how my understanding is most boarding schools will work that their houses are vertical so they'll have all year groups in there um, right, that's right. my understanding. I could be completely wrong, <laughs> but where I worked, she chose to year group all the houses just because we had the space to do that. So every house had a year group. Um, 
I was with the year seven house, which yeah. when you think that these students have not been in school for six months and then are coming to a boarding school, most of whom for the first time, yeah, and yeah. you don't have the older students to sort of guide them, it was a lot. And then we also had um, provision in case students did become infected with COVID. We then had provision for that. So we had two, um, what are called landing shut off for that. Right. Yeah, so, it just it sounds, there's a lot. It's, uh, it's you <laughs> yeah. know, honestly, it was something that hadn't occurred to me just how complex it would be for boarding schools. Obviously, if you've got your boarders and you've got your day uh, students. Well, it... I also found it very, obviously the situation with COVID was so difficult, but it's very hard when you have siblings in different year groups who are boarders and they are not allowed to touch or be within two metres of one another. Yeah. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, but if they're a day student, you know, they're, <laughs> I don't know, they'd be all over, I don't want to say be all over each other because most siblings don't do that, but, you know, they would be allowed to mix at home. Yeah. So that I think some of the students were very upset with that because that's a very hard ask, especially if you're new. You know, you've got an yeah. older sibling. It's I can imagine. Yeah. Well, I can think we can. You know, we, we've all sort of seen in all manner of schools that the the pandemics had impacts on behaviour, uh, but also logistics. Certainly, a year ago, logistically, it was very different, wasn't it? So. Like I say, it hadn't occurred to me that for a boarding school, sort of those problems multiply really, don't they? Yeah. So what we're planning to do, um, so we're going to, I'm going to read out some of the worst bits of advice that we've received. And some some of these are from um, from my recollections as well. I filled in a few gaps. So I've got 10 of each. And after each point, I was thinking we could basically just obviously throw it over to yourself and Alicia. Um to see what you think, to sort of give me your wisdom on these thoughts. And obviously as someone, um, so Alicia, you're, you're, Alicia, did you say you were in your second year of teaching? Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I'm just checking. Yeah. So we've got, because um, of course, you, so you still, this is this is where I'm showing my ignorance now, you're still classed as an ECT then? Uh, see, again, I'm just going to throw you for a loop here just to make it <laughs> Go easy. On, then. Because... Um, I did my PGC a different way. I got um, my qualification slightly different. So I managed to scrape in just under the old system where it was just a year. So I I am done. (laughs) That's good. You've been promoted already. It's great stuff. Okay. And so obviously we've got Laura who's who's hopeful to to complete the PGC um, or or to recomplete it in September. Mm -hmm. So let's, so first point. So like I say, I asked on Twitter for people to, to put forward suggestions of, of some of the worst advice. I've had to be quite careful with some of them. Um, uh, and I've also, there's some where they're quite anonymous. There's others where they're perfectly rational and it's fine. And it's, I can name names and things. Um, well, if we start with this one, this is from Mrs. P, who is a French and German teacher. She said, she was saying how there's an, inex- sorry, an, an experienced teacher at her school who told her she only got five hours sleep a night due to the job. What do you think of that? As a, if a colleague was to say to you, five hours sleep a night is okay, what are your thoughts? I mean, is this something that she thinks is is like a, a standard or is this 
you know, as a one-off event. I think this is one of those yeah. things that needs a heavy dose of context because I know, yeah. you know, when there's been an Ofsted or I imagine yeah. that in the run-up to the GCSEs that week before, I'm probably going to run on less than five hours sleep a night. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but that's that's not that's not the norm. Um, so I think I think yeah. it's like any any job when there's something specific. Um, then it's natural to have that kind of anxiety, which may result in reduced sleep. But if it's the case that you're getting five hours every night because you're doing tasks, you yeah. know, for the next day or the next week, then that possibly has to be the worst thing I've ever heard. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's completely unsustainable, isn't it? If you Absolutely. do that all the time, unless you're kind of a superhero and that just become something you're used to you eventually are going to burn out and how is that going to help you because then it becomes a vicious cycle and then you get more stressed because you're becoming less effective which means you'll probably get less sleep and take care of yourself less and your job will suffer um so i i think if that is something that you think is normal then that would be the time to speak to somebody about it because it, it can't be normal you know, for a short period of time, yeah. potentially, um, but not as your normal day-to-day operation, I would suggest that's a no, pretty always, terrible idea. Yeah, you sometimes get people, don't you, who, who insist they get back. I mean, I know famously Mrs. Thatcher, did I say Mrs. Thatcher? Margaret Thatcher used to say she got by on four hours sleep a night. Maybe it made a bad temper, I don't know. But certainly I can't imagine um, doing that um, for a sustained amount of time. I think the implication was that... Um, it was if she only needed five hours sleep a night, so therefore it opened up the time she could do uh, for other things. But like you say, on a regular basis. I mean, what do you think, Laura? Do you think that's? I think it's such. I think, yeah. Again, is it the context of this is what this is what you should aim for? Five hours sleep a night, or is it that person just happened to say, "Oh, I've only gotten five hours sleep a night"? I think as someone going into the teaching profession. Um, it's a really bad advert for it to say yeah. this is how much sleep you'll get. But also, not only for teachers, but also for students. You know, if if your teacher is only getting that, it's going to become quite obvious if they're doing it on a regular basis. Because for me personally, I couldn't sustain that at all. Like it, no. it's not healthy, and it's not a healthy advert for it. Certainly, any profession, I don't think. No, you know, I think you're right. I mean, the, the, there's been certain stages, and I mean, just a to, to bit of context from my side, I've been doing this for 22 years, and there's been little periods of time where I've sort of had bouts of really sort of poor sleep, and that's that, that's been thankfully very, very infrequently. So I can think back 18 years ago when you used to, I believe it or not, you used to get three months' notice before an offset inspection. So for those three months... <laughs> It was great okay. in one sense. You could get yeah, you could get loads prepared, but the same and loads marked. But at the same time, you, you've got three months. You're thinking, you know, twelve weeks to go, eleven weeks, and then suddenly, I, I can't remember being particularly relaxed in those three months. I wonder okay. if it's not. Sorry, go. On. I was going to say, I wonder if it's not necessarily just related to the the teaching profession. I yes. think in this yeah. country, certainly, what I've noticed is we do have a very 
weird relationship with work that if you're not tired if you're not putting in that effort you're somehow not as hard working whereas actually you need to look after your well-being I know particularly on the PGC that, that I was going on the first module was teacher well-being like that is the first thing that they teach you is how to be well as a teacher and I think that's um, really important going into it I think yeah you know, I know honestly I didn't realize that was um certainly wasn't something when I was training that they did um and, and just it, it's funny it, it reminds me of actually a colleague again from quite a few years ago I remember chatting to him and I'm saying that his wife was away for business and he was made up and I thought it'd mean because he could sit and watch the tv or whatever but it was so I can get loads more work done I was thinking wow that's incredible that's if you're trying to work till 11 o'clock and you and you pleased your wife is away because it gives you a free run on that and all you know it, it well it, it brings up another thing as well doesn't it that if if you only do that when your wife is away it kind of suggests that you know really it's probably not good for you so yeah i think it's i think maybe the word toxic gets used an awful lot but i think in this case that's pretty toxic advice okay should we go into another one um so this is from Tabitha McIntosh, who said, um, and this is one that as somebody who's had so many PGT students in the classroom over the years, that this really resonates. Um, she said one of the advice was that you should get the kids up and moving and literally finding the answers. Oh my I God, I cannot even like <laughs> talk about how much that, that it just makes me die a little bit inside here and there. <laughs> Go on, so did you ha- were you encouraged to do that when you were training? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> to create like pictures that you would stick around the room yeah. um, and they had to like you had to an- ask them a question and they had to run to the answer yeah. that was a, when I did my PGC that was a, a hugely popular kind of game that A yeah. was used as an icebreaker in the PGC and B was really encouraged um, as something that you should do with your students um, and I think I tried it maybe twice possibly both times because I had an observation and I could easily say they rank as some of the poorest lessons I've ever taught um (laughs) it's just terrific and and now the more they're sat down the better I I do not and I'm sure there are lots of people that disagree with me but I am not an advocate of kids getting up (laughs) and milling around in classrooms at all well, I mean, I think that's one of the things, one of the very few things we're grateful to COVID for. Is it, I think it's got rid of that basically. But I always remember there was a space, uh, a space a few years ago, or in a very peculiar fashion, like you say. As soon as a PG, PGC student asked me if we had blue tack, I knew what was coming next. Be <laughs> <laughs> basically pictures of, like you say, pictures on, and and even going around to copy text from a corner of the room, and 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 when you ask the students why why are you you know, why are you doing this? <laughs> the, answer, the answer seemed to be it was something you were encouraged to do. Yeah, and, and, and as well... Oh, go on. I no, think, no, go on. I, I, I just... Think... I, I'm not in a PFI school either. Like, my school's really old. And right. just to even have the space in a classroom to have right. 25 to 30 kids moving around at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, that's another thing. And it's literally, even now, it's like giving me chills thinking about it. I can see the image <laughs> in my head. I can see the lesson. It's like, it's like a, a really like visual 
kind of nightmare that I'm having right now of seeing them all trying to push past each other, trying to read yeah. the really dodgy printout that I'd made. And they learned nothing. They literally learned how to push past each other. That that was the entire object of it. And if you ask me now what I actually was trying to achieve, I really couldn't tell you. All I remember mm-hmm. is them pushing each other out of the way to read whatever I'd written on a piece of paper. Yeah, and if you said to the, the students afterwards, um, what did he get out of that they couldn't get from you just giving them the, the information at a table? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be an awkward silence. Is that something you've encountered, Laura? Yeah, so um, how my role worked was my first year I was in the SCN department and then last year I was in cover. And to be honest, just to get some of the students sitting still was the achievement, so like getting them up. But I had <laughs> yeah. one lesson where this was when I was in SEN, where the teacher did that thing of sticking, um, it was a history lesson and they stuck uh, propaganda posters up, but because there wasn't enough room in the classroom, they did it down a corridor and it was chaos because the corridor, like (laughs) it's a corridor, but also the amount of noise that was then made for other classes. And one of the students I was supporting um had sight issues right so for them it was an inaccessible lesson which is great and then for the other 29 students it was just noise making in the corridor (laughs) there was i I couldn't understand why they didn't just print it out and rotate it around or something it oh Oh, and this shows the, the, you know, the really quick evolution of kind of pedagogy and best practice, doesn't it? Because yeah. it was something that even a couple of a couple of years ago, I mean, I graduated in 2017, that was still actively being taught on PGC courses as, as a best yeah. practice kind of thing to do. Um, even mm-hmm. though at the time you're thinking this can't be a good idea, but it was <laughs> something that I'm sure when you had observations, it was definitely on the list. Did teacher engage children in physical activity throughout the lesson? Um, it was definitely like a performance mm-hmm. indicator somewhere. Um, and you knew it was a bad idea while you were doing it, but because it was something yeah. that was actively taught, you, you thought it's something I must do. This is something they must want. Otherwise, why would I be taught it? Yeah, exactly. I can, I can imagine. I mean, like I say, there was, it was probably two, three years on the run where every student teacher did this. And I was thinking, clearly, this is something that someone's decided is is the way forward. And I'm not saying there isn't, there aren't times when you can do that. I mean, I, I think maybe they were trying to, my impression was they were trying to replicate the experience you might have on a field trip somehow inside the classroom, as if, you know, you could, you could somehow replicate that. But I don't know, I might be barking up the wrong tree there, it's just something I thought. Um, before we go into the next one, I've just seen a message from Henry, who says he's listening, I'm listening to you from Ghana. So welcome, Henry. I hope, um, hope you're enjoying the show. Um, okay, number three. This is an old one. It's an old classic. And a few people offered this one up. It was the don't smile until Christmas mantra. What do you think of that? What would you think? Of I that have idea? never well, even heard of this. What does this mean? Really? What, what is uh-huh. this? I have. Oh, heard. maybe, maybe it's dying off. So, did you, sorry, Laura, did you say you've heard it? Yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> like you, that you sort of have to be strict up until Christmas. That oh. was the impression that I got. <laughs> yeah, I think that like... was basically it. Yeah, that was still advice that was. Um, I vividly remember being told it when I started at my first school. 
back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being told, you know, <laughs> don't show any weakness, don't show any humanity, basically just, you know, Wow. Don't don't smile at them until you've until you know you're well enough to establish all the routines and whatnot. It's I mean, what's your isn't it? Like break them before <laughs> you make them. Like ooh. yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's it's I I I just don't think. I mean, I, there's certain classes that make you to a point where you don't want to smile until after Christmas. But you know, I had some amazing classes in my first year as a teacher and. The idea of not smiling at them, or, or even just being nice, or you know, it, it's it's something that I've always sort of, yeah. Now I'm the, I have the same sort of idea. I don't think it's a great idea whatsoever. And it actually, it goes on to the opposite one. This was one of the ones I can I put in the list. In my PGC, PGC, I was always told to be myself in the classroom. So obviously, you can't be well if you assume that I'm someone who smiles occasionally. I can't be myself if I'm not allowed to smile till after Christmas. But um, it got me thinking, you know, this idea of being yourself in the classroom. I mean, is it possible to be, quote, yourself in the classroom? See, I've had different advice on this over the the kind of the time I've been teaching. And I've had some people that have said to me, um, you know, you're no different in the classroom to who you are outside of the classroom. And... If you want yeah. to, you know, talk about your family or what you did at the weekend, um, things you enjoy, um, then that's great. It helps build build relationships and, it, it, you know, it shows that you're a person and kids will relate to you. Mm-hmm. And then I've had Absolutely. other people who have said, you know, you should be a completely closed book. It's not professional to share your personal life. You're there as a teacher. You're not as their friend. Um, you've got to kind of maintain authority and it leaves you really yeah. vulnerable. Um so I kind of guess that does tie into being yourself because yes. you you can either be yourself and, you know, if you naturally are somebody that if we met and you showed me pictures of your kids, then that would be you being yourself. But if you actively try and not do that for fear of kind of being unprofessional or it not being the right environment, then you're not being yourself, are you? You're being like a Correct. kind of a closed version of yourself. Um, and I kind of, I always laughed when people kind of, advised against that because I was thinking you know these are children we're talking about what are they going to do are they going to like turn up outside my house and tick off my children as they (laughs) get in the car like what what harm is there in showing them that I am a person with kind of feelings and and thoughts and ideas that aren't just the the curriculum Um, but I know I know even in my school now there are some teachers that are really very against sharing any kind of personal um, aspects of their lives at all um, yeah. And I guess that does lead to: Are they being authentically themselves, or are they being a version of themselves that's that's being put forward yeah. just to do the job? Do you know what I mean? That's exactly what I was thinking, actually. Yeah, a version of yourself, because I think it doesn't matter what job you do, you, you can't, you know, whether you are, you know, whatever job you do, whether you're on the, the checkout as there, or whether you are a barrister in court or a surgeon, you, you, there are times you have to. Well, you're basically playing a different character, aren't you, at different times during the day, really. Uh, but the idea of just being yourself, you know, <laughs> I, if I was myself um, and I was allowed to say what I might say outside the classroom, I don't think I'd have a job for very long. So maybe... Yeah, there is that aspect, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah. I like, to, I like to think I'm 95% myself, just with slightly yeah. less swearing and innuendo. <laughs> 
just slightly I, less. Slightly I was less told scary. off. I have had this. I was told off uh, because of how I chose to behave and manage. Um, bearing in mind that I am like in no way was I trained for this role. I had three three days of CPD, like the same as every other staff wow. member, but obviously wow. didn't have any qualifications in teaching whatsoever. Um, but I, it's probably more effective with older years. I tend to diffuse like situations with humor. Um, and I was really told off for that because I was told like, it's not appropriate. Like they don't understand that they're in trouble if you do that. Whereas it was me just trying to deescalate a situation of like, I, I think it does tend to work with older years when they know the boundaries a bit more. Um, but also okay. it is that thing of it's so individual i think as well like you have to like teaching is yeah. exhausting anyway i feel like if you're pretending to be a different person you're adding a lot of more pressure onto yourself and you just tie yourself out more yeah i think so i think and we all know that colleague who sort of if we combine the last two the, the sorry the previous piece of advice where you think right don't smile till christmas so that means i've got to basically roar for an hour every or well, an hour at a time five hours a day until yeah. after christmas it's like you say it does two things there doesn't it? it stops your character coming through and how can you build sort of relations and then it also as you say it's very tiring to do that isn't it to play a part yeah so i think we can basically discount the last two well actually i think the point we just looked at i think there's um there's a bit of debate on this isn't it? so yeah mostly follow but sorry mostly ignore but but sort of a little bit of follow um what about the, we're getting into the ones now where you'll find all this stuff sort of comes in cycles and i guarantee over the course of your career you're going to get these a few times but have either of you heard of this idea of teacher talk being limited to and i've put in my notes five slash ten slash fifteen slash twenty because it depends who was talking to you or delivering the insight as to how long a teacher should speaking to the classroom uh, sorry to the class um i don't know laura have you heard of that is that something that's <laughs> when i say i have very limited training oh, of i really like really know like i in no training whatsoever um yeah. to have classes so i have never known that and i'm quite oh. uh bearing in mind we cover my my sort of approach was to get ideas out of the students as opposed to writing it down so a lot of my practice was more talking and I'm as you can tell a talkative person (laughs) so I've never heard of it and also I do think I don't like this idea that students have to I know it does help with memory and things but I have taught quite a few subjects where it's workbook and it's write these things down but actually you need a discussion especially when it's a, like a pshe subject you're covering or a humanity sure, subject sure. so i've never heard of that rule but all, I, and yeah. again it depends on your lesson and mm-hmm. te- like there are some teachers who are so boring that you sounds <laughs> awful that the less time they talk is probably better yeah i think there's, <laughs> I, I hate yeah, to say yeah. that but <laughs> We've got to take on individual talents, haven't you? There's some teachers yeah. who are amazing, you can hold your attention. There's others where I had them myself, where I'd have a, I'd have a going back to A level, Thursday afternoon, double lesson, 
where the teacher was amazingly intelligent, but I used to dread those two hours because I was sat in the front row and it was genuinely a struggle to stay awake because he was droning mm. on and on. He just sat there and talked. But um, I thought it's interesting, um, Lisa, this might be something for yourself being an English teacher. It's hard to limit your, your teaching to five, ten, whatever minute blocks, isn't it? Yeah, and I always kind of think about this um, in terms of a business. And because yeah. I, I actually, this was another one of those things that I genuinely was taught on my PGCE. And it was called, and there was a term for it, I think it was guided discovery, where right. you, you're supposed to basically plant the seed of an idea in a student's head, but the work should yeah. come from them and you're there just to, to facilitate it. That was the word that was used a lot during my PGCE. You're there to facilitate learning. You're not there to kind of force learning upon anybody. Um, and then I just thought, if I turned up to a gig or a lecture that said it was an hour and actually yeah. the person only talked for a 20, for 20 minutes, I would want a <laughs> refund. And this is true. I read a book and I, I don't know if we're allowed to mention the titles of, of specific texts that we've read, but I read a book as part of my P- CPD because this idea had kind of vaguely been swimming around in my head for a while. Um, yeah. And in this book, it said, you are the expert. Like, this is literally what you've trained to do. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and people literally come to your lessons, whether they like it or not, because, yes, it's a legal requirement, but they literally <laughs> come to your lessons because they need to know the things you know. And if you don't yeah. tell them the things that you know, What's the point of them being there? They can't work with something that they don't know. And I'm very much in favor of, you know, if I've given them all the content they need and we've done as much work as we can around it, and then they need to do a practice exam question. Obviously, I'm not going to sit and talk to them for 45 minutes while they need to do an exam condition piece of work. But if I haven't spent a substantial amount of time talking beforehand, they're not going to know what to write in that 45 minutes piece of work because they don't know what they don't know so if i don't tell them how are they ever going to know it exactly and that was you know it takes me back a few years to do and um say a few years it's probably about 10 years now i remember doing an inset where they were basically showing us all these examples and actually this might resonate of, of an english workshop where they were breaking down all the characters in i think it was macbeth and each group had a, had a character and they had to write down the traits as a little sort of you know, uh, bio for each character, and they go, and this is this is what we mean by independent. And I was like, yeah, great, but what about this? How many, however many lessons you need beforehand, where they actually read the book, and mm-hmm. they don't just read; they're reading through it with the teacher who's directing them through it, so they can do that kind of thing. And I think that's that's one of the things, isn't it? But you're absolutely right. I mean, without without um without treading on the second list later on, we said, you know, you, you are the best resource in that room. You know your stuff. I actually, I, I got a laugh off a of class last week unintentionally because I regarded, I, I, there was someone talking over me and I said, um, you do realise I'm an expert in this. And as I said it, I thought, well, well, that's a naff thing to say. But then I thought, I was, well, no, I am. You know, that's what you've come here for, like you say. So yeah. there we go. Yeah. So I think... That's a strange. I can understand where why people have suggested it. I think, like I say, there are some teachers who would just spend sixty minutes. Here's everything I know. So strap yourself in and listen to this. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a strange thing to say after twenty minutes you just stop talking because the kids need to do stuff. Yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those like 
I try really hard to move away from lesson plans where it was, you know, it's three to five minutes, you will introduce yourself and do yeah. the bell task. Five to 15 minutes, you will do this and this will be the result. And it, it's, it very much fits into that category for me. Um, you, you can't do a good, you can't do a good lesson. That's awful, isn't it? You can't teach, <laughs> you can't teach a good me. lesson if you're restricting yourself in constraining yourself particularly in English you know in history and that all the humanities subjects and even science and maths if you're working with children and really getting to grips with a subject and really wrestling out all the issues it doesn't really matter how long it takes and you're not doing anything wrong if it's not taking the amount of time that that it did and I think nothing instills fear particularly to an early careers teacher of going oh my god I've allocated 20 minutes for this task <laughs> and they're not even halfway through it and my lesson plan's ruined and I'm not going to finish all my learning objectives today. And it's just, it's another one of those things that puts unnecessary pressure on somebody um, and yeah, really absolutely. de-skills them because it just doesn't allow them to have confidence in their abilities just to teach. It's it's just compartmentalizing yeah. just your, your, your knowledge in the segments rather than just letting you do what you're good at. Absolutely. And you know, that's one of the, the, the best developments in teaching. There haven't been many in recent years, arguably, but it's not too long ago where, you know, lesson plan documentation was, was ridiculous. You know, I remember Ofsted inspections where it was a four four page lesson plan for each lesson. And obviously the majority of them are never going to see light of day other than sitting mm-hmm. on your desk. And it feels very unnatural, doesn't it, to, to do yeah. that. And um yeah, I remember seeing, exa- I should have put this on the list now, lesson planning, but um, seeing an example of a lesson plan where it was literally, as you say, at 10 minutes, I will ask pupil X this question. Mm-hmm. If he responds to it this way, I will then say, it's it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? That, um, that you sort of feel you And do you remember when you had to do that for every lesson? Like you oh, didn't yes. just have your scheme of work, <laughs> you literally had to produce that for every lesson. That was one yeah. of the things that gave me five hours of sleep at night having to do that across five year groups um for however many periods we get a a week like that that was the thing that gave me sleepless nights yeah i found found having worked in cover it can go one of two ways where either a teacher has really like really really diligently said this is a task give them x amount of minutes or my highlight which is go through powerpoint like not no yeah. other instruction just go through powerpoint and you're like um okay yeah that's... so it's, it's got to be a happy medium to... hasn't there yeah yeah it's, yeah absolutely and it uh, that i think you know we're getting to a wider wide debate but i think one of the things is when intelligent people as most teachers are see that something is inefficient and not particularly productive but they're being told to do it it, it causes a lot of resentment doesn't it and you Definitely. I, I remember saying do you really want that the, if you get the dreaded call do you really want your staff to spend the next six hours writing page after page after page of lesson plans that they probably won't stick to anyway because like you say you, you build this skill and it's something we are undersell sometimes about ourselves isn't it? this skill where you can basically, I wouldn't say kill time, but you, you and I wouldn't even say improvise, but it, it, maybe the phrase is rehearsed improvisation in that you've got an idea 
of what people are going to say, how they're going to react to certain activities, and you react to, to it that way rather than this is what I will do at this time. Mm-hmm. And and certainly, I'll just make sorry one last point on this before we move on, was um, every lesson I've had in the last two weeks, regardless of the subject, it somehow got onto Russia and, the, and Ukraine. And that's fine. But if I was teaching to a, to a really rigid lesson plan, you'd be like, sorry, I can't talk about this major event in your life because... Because <laughs> I've got to finish I've this right to... <laughs> task in three minutes. <laughs> you've, you've got, you've got, yeah, you've got an I, we, you task to do, so you need to do that at this time. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll, you'll fail. Yeah, strange, isn't it? There's not many other professions where that would happen, but there we go. Right, another one. This comes up all the time. And I have to be honest, when I was, I'm saying taught, but I'm doing the adverted commas thing with my fingers. When I was taught this nearly 20 years ago, I remember thinking, wow, this is incredible. This is the future. This is how we shape teaching for every student. And what I'm talking about is the advice to categorize students into VARK or VARK and plan lessons to suit them all. So I don't know, Laura, as someone who's relatively new to the classroom is that does that ring a bell with you is it make, do you know what that no, is no not at all <laughs> right. i've heard of scaffold like scaffolding that wasn't taught to me at the school though that was taught to me at university in a voluntary scheme but oh, no this go, oh this is this this goes way beyond scaffolding <laughs> um, oh dear alicia alicia you got any thoughts on this one oh, do you know can i make a really shameful confession yeah, go for it. I'm actually really quite fond of this in a really, in a general sense, not in a, yeah. you have to, you know, make sure that yeah. there's an, you know, an auditory element and a visual element yeah. and a kinesthetic element and that, but just in a way of giving you, because I always found when you got all that bump about VAK when it started, um, yeah. it did give you some really good suggestions of different tasks to try. Um, yes, and I have to so. say, they were they were pretty decent. Certainly, the ones I got, it did make me think about maybe not in a VAK kind of specific way, but am I really catering to all the students in my class? Um, yeah. So maybe in itself, like the labeling and the and the, the rigidity of it wasn't great, but just that idea that not everyone is the same and everyone learns the same way. I mean, you know, it's it's common sense, isn't it? But I think it was one of the first times really education wholesale really try to address the needs of different learners in a classroom and for all its faults at least it tried do you know that that's a really good point because i was being very cynical (laughs) but i mean just just um laura in case you're wondering what we were saying then um sorry that sounded really patronizing didn't it no it didn't (laughs) no you're fine uh, basically what we what we were taught to do 20 years ago or so was to there was actually a survey you'd give to students and it would categorize them into a mostly oh. visual, mostly oral reading or kinesthetic learners. And you had to, so you had to, we were encouraged for about three years to have a V and A and R or a K on our registers and on the student books. And it was, I mean, it was, it was things like, oh, if they're a K learner, card sort activity, if they're a reading learner, a book, the visual learner, cartoon strip and you know as lisa said there's there's actually quite a lot in it in in the sense of if you're talking snd isn't it but i think the problem was it was categorized as i get i always say it to, to when, when i've had um 
student teachers talk about this. I've always made the point that it's, and, and actually I've seen a guy talk about this in training whose name escapes me. He'd make the point that it's easy to fool. It's fallen for it the right word, but in terms of you listen to the science, and I've done the quote unquote thing there about, um, say, visual learning, and you think, oh, I'm a visual learner. When I put furniture together, I like the little pic the pictures with the guy with the tools and how to do it. But actually, 99% of people would use that, wouldn't they? You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't get an IKEA mm. bookcase and then it just be all text put part. You know, it's you know uh, put part A perpendicular to part B and do it. So I think you're right. I think it, but I think if nothing else, it added a bit of variety to the classroom. But I think it's more the idea as worth advice that it was, oh, that's the kid who has to have the K lesson and that's the mm -hmm, kid who has mm -hmm. to have the reading. But I think and that's right the issue with it, things. isn't it? It, it, yeah. re it? it reduced that flexibility and it was like, this child cannot hear any noise whatsoever because they're a visual learner. So yeah. we, must, we, <laughs> we must mime all our lessons for these children because, <laughs> because they, cannot, they cannot hear auditory kind of lesson input. And it, it took it too far. Um, I yeah. think in saying that as human beings, we're not capable of, of learning in different ways or, or being taught to learn in different ways in some cases, you know, especially yeah. when you're talking early years, if, if a child can't read, they're not going to, you know, be a, an R, are they? Because they can't read yet. Um, but that yeah. doesn't mean yeah. that we shouldn't, we shouldn't encourage that. Um, so, yeah, it was, I'm going to file this under great idea, poorly executed. I would agree. I think that's where it works. Yeah, that's thing. And like I say, it, it's it's weaving its way back into um, all sorts of handbooks, particularly in American education, isn't it? So we probably haven't seen the last of it. Just like you say, the execution of it be interesting to see. Right, change of um, slight change of direction now. This one's more. It's more return to the martyrdom theme. I've I've had this, and I am talking. I I have to say it's not something I've seen in recent years. There's always someone who, and this is the advice, that if you're ill, I was once, I was, uh, this is from my own collection from many years ago, then just break your day down to lesson by lesson and power through and think of that rather than the full day. In other words, if you're ill, don't be just thinking, don't come into school. I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, go, on, go on, Laura. I was, I was going to say, given, given recent events, Yes, I course, would. Yeah. I really would, and as someone who it it got to the end of the year, and I'm I'm very open about my mental health. I basically had a breakdown because I had put so much pressure on myself to continue, and it's it's just not healthy. Like you're gonna make someone else ill. You're gonna because we had it where someone had come into a department in the school and they had chosen to have an in-person meeting for right. not sure why so they then tested positive so that entire department was then off so then obviously you then have yeah. the issue of who is uh, you know trying to provide cover for an entire department it's yeah horrible but then equally i understand it because it's then the fear of um you know cover work and you know, not getting things done and not knowing who's covering your classes. So I can, un I understand why people do it. I just think 
And I think, Laura, you've made a really good point there about cover. And cover is the cover work, the setting of cover work is one of the things that really, really shocked me coming into, into teaching. I have never worked in a job. You know, I'm a 34 year old woman. I was 12 years in a previous career and I have never worked anywhere where if you're sick, you're still expected to do your job (laughs) just from home. Yeah. In a in a state that's not, you know, you're not in in a good state because you're not at work, but you're still expected to to act as if you're there whilst you're sick. Yeah. And I've yeah, never that... got that. I really really don't understand that. Um and I think mm-hmm. you know of of all the, the teaching's brilliant. I love it. You know, it'll be the thing I do till I retire. But if I ever climb up the SLT ladder, <laughs> um you know, rung by terrible rung, that will be something that I would do everything in my power to change because in no yeah. other organization is that a thing that it is expected that you will still provide your full day's work whilst you're ill. And that's, you know, you're going to have to stop me talking about it because the soapbox will come <laughs> out, um, but massively not against this. I will just say as an anecdote, though, there was a yeah. certain member of SLT in a school that I worked at in my induction um, you get your new staff induction. They said that the two things that they hated more than anything else were people being off, ill, and people yeah. having babies. Oh, and that was right. that was in the you know welcome to the school. Hope you're happy wow. here. They were the two things they said like day one, hour one. It's it is strange. I I was gonna say I had a. Because of the environment that I worked in, obviously boarding is different. Yeah. But there is an expectation that you cannot be ill. Like you, I'm, when COVID, so when COVID first started back in March 2020, gosh, um, this is when I was working in the SCN department. So I had a full five period day of SCN. Yeah. Then I think I was on after school duty, so it, it I had a break. I'm just trying to think. I think I was supposed to finish at five or f- yeah, so from three forty-five till five. Then I was free for the evening. Yeah, no, yeah. sorry, sorry. This is a really long story. <laughs> Basically, no, this is wrong. Um, I had a break from three forty-five till five. Then I was on duty from five till nine forty-five, right. but because our um, pastoral worker was uh, having to shield because of COVID, I was asked to um, cover for them overnight, and then do another five-period day in SEN, and that's the level that you get. To. So I can understand why people say like never be sick, but then. Yeah. Um, my line manager made a comment this was last year um about a colleague being off for stress which i don't know how they knew that a colleague was off for stress but the comment was something like well why are they off for stress it's not a stressful job and it it just perpetuates that whole myth of you know Mm -hmm. taking time off whether it's physical or mental health yeah, and I think to reverse it to good advice, I did have a deputy head years ago who said we'd rather you take 
I don't know, a day or two that you need to recover, then struggle on and we lose you for a week, maybe two. Because, mm. you know, you don't get, there's no sort of medals for it or anything like that. Um, and if anything, so, you're, yeah. not, you're not, this is the other thing that I find and it's something that um, the course director told me when I said I wasn't certain about going on my PGCE is it's yeah. actually not fair to the students. Like you're, you're not, able to unfortunately work to the level or the you know deliver that performance that you want for them and that's not fair on them if that makes sense so it's, yeah. it's also because you're not looking after yourself but it also puts them at you know because if it is a cold or something you risk giving it to them but also you're yeah. not able to deliver a lesson to your normal standard Absolutely, I agree. And I'll just give you one very quick anecdote. For I remember um, put me back out in the morning, and I can't remember how I did it. And it, but I remember thinking, do I go in? And I thought, yeah, I'll go in because you know I'm, I'm that heroic. And I got in, and my thanks for going in was not only did I have my four lessons that day, I was also given a cover lesson. So it was yeah. just it taught me very quickly. You know what? Don't don't sort of be the hero just sort of, uh, you know, look after yourself because obviously you, <laughs> you're no good to anyone, are you, if you lay yourself out for longer. Um, I'm just conscious of the time, so I'm just going to, um, I'm going to skip forward to the last one and then we're going to uh, put the news on um, and then we'll go on to uh, the good advice because this has been one thing teachers love to do, isn't it, is, is, is go through uh, lists like this and sort of talk about the, can you believe so and so said this? And I'm I'm one of the world's worst for it. I do it all day long. Um, I'll just give you this one. This is a genuine one, and this was advice I rejected. Um, I don't know why it occurred to me before, but I, there was many years ago, twenty years ago, I think it was. There was a child in the school I was at who uh, dodged past the gate at lunchtime and got hit by a car. Now she, I should say, she was okay. It was only minor injuries. There was nothing serious. But I was, I was advised to put her on detention for breaching school rules, and I kind of thought I'm not sure I'm going to follow that one. I think I will just. So, so my final one I've put in is I'm turning this into a good piece of advice. Don't give detentions to kids who've been run over because it really isn't fair. Sound advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that can be applied to any any sort of walk of life. Right. Okay. So, um, I'm. Going to put the news on, and then when we finish with the news, we are going to uh, talk about the positives. We'll end on a positive. Okay, so I'll speak to everyone soon. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, 
Michaela Community School and ARC schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. A report on the Politics Home website explores the issue of the UK granting refuge to staff and students at British international schools in Ukraine. In a letter to Boris Johnson, Colin Bell, CEO of the Council of British International Schools, urged the Prime Minister to provide a safe haven to 700 children and numerous Ukrainian staff at schools in the war-torn country. Under the current scheme, only Ukrainians with relatives in the UK are entitled to seek refuge while those with no family links must be sponsored by a person, business, charity or organisation. The British International School has three campuses in capital Kyiv and the city Dimpiro, both under siege from Russian military. In the letter, Bell says they have significant concern for the 700 children enrolled in the school, and he requests reassurance that no barrier will be put in their way to enter the UK. A government spokesperson responded to Politics Home by reiterating the rules of schemes currently in place. In Scotland, the TES magazine reports that Scotland's largest teaching union has opened a consultative strike ballot over Dundee City Council's proposals to move to a faculty structure in its secondary schools. Faculties have long been established in many parts of Scotland and involve more than one subject being grouped together under the leadership of a faculty head. The EIS Teaching Union is urging all of its members in Dundee Secondary Schools to support strike action. Critics of the faculty approach argue that it is driven by cost-cutting rather than improving standards. The EIS says the plan for Dundee will cost money and remove valuable experience and leadership. Stuart Hunter of Dundee City Council said, The change is designed to improve the quality of learning and teaching in our secondary schools and is only one of a range of measures to improve the situation as we work to reduce the attainment gap. In an article in the Daily Nigerian, Dr. Peter Ogodoro, 2021 Facebook Community Accelerator Award winner, says functional education delivered by highly motivated teachers should be considered Africa's route out of poverty. 
Mr Ogodoro made the comments whilst addressing Kenyan teachers in Nairobi. He said that Facebook was supporting a Nigerian teachers community of over 300,000 members to promote learner-centred teaching. He said Facebook was assisting teachers in acquiring cutting-edge skills in teaching and school promotion to help improve teacher welfare and promote economic well-being. Speaking about teachers' conditions of service, he encouraged public and private school owners to pay teachers well and invest enormously in their development. Mr Ogodoro said he founded the Nigerian Teachers Facebook community in 2016 as a platform for teachers to share free resources for quality teaching and networking. Mr Ogodoro is an alumnus of the University of Reading, where he earned a PhD in education. The National Association of Head Teachers Union reports on its website that leaders representing schools across Wales were joined by their Education Minister Jeremy Miles as they debated key issues for schools in Wales at NAHT Cymru's annual policy conference. Delegates will debate and agree key policy objectives on curriculum and assessment, accountability, well-being, funding, as well as a range of other issues. Karina Hansen, president of NAHT Cymru, thanked him for joining to hear the concerns of school leaders in Wales. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at M underscore Stevens Zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's two minute tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want, freeform select which is draw a shape around what you want, window select which is pick the window you want to capture, screen select which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button, some may say there's no point to this but stay tuned, there is, finally there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar, right click the icon and select pin to taskbar, now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible. Sorry, slight hitch there, I end up playing it again. Sorry about that. Right, okay, so I was actually. <laughs> Confession time. I was actually scribbling down some of what Steve was saying there because uh, the tools he was talking about in Office are really, really useful for, for um, particularly with my subject history, putting nice little uh, pictures and things into stuff. Right, okay, so as promised before I put the news on, uh, we're going to move on to look. So if you've had a good mode, uh, same mode, it's been quite productive. We've had a look at um, the worst advice we've ever had, 
in teaching and now we're going to look at the good advice and i'm actually going to hand over to lisa who's going to talk us through this bit oh yeah brilliant i get the good job i get the happy positive <laughs> section um laura please feel free to chip in with any of these um especially if me and paul start to get a bit more moany just say no <laughs> positivity we're riding high um so yeah we've got the classics the classic i don't think these will ever die these will always be <laughs> teaching staples um First of all, use the names of students for an immediate response. There is nothing better for me in a class than checking they've understood and then saying, and what about you, David? And then all of a sudden, whatever they, game they've tried to play under the table, is suddenly, you know, you can hear the phone drop and their eyes look at you with terror as they realize that you have noticed what they're doing um, and they do need to listen to you. Um, and I think that's just something... So using somebody's name in any respect is is just much better isn't it it shows you've got that relationship it's much more personal um and people can pick out their own name in a crowded room if if you say it loudly enough so i am a massive fan of this one paul what do you think yeah absolutely you know I'm, <laughs> it's amazing the things you remember isn't it but going back many years there was one colleague used to have who um she had a really sort of strong Irish, Ulster Irish accent. So forgive my impression, but you'd, you'd walk past the classroom and all you'd ever hear her saying was "girls, girls," and it's like <laughs> learn the names, learn the name, not not just pointing and shouting "girls." If you actually shout the name, you might actually get a response from them. Yeah, so absolutely. I love that. Um, never threaten anything you cannot carry out. Ooh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Now, I don't know, because I'm not sure at the time when I threaten something, if I can or can't carry it out, and if I can't, <laughs> then it's the same for me. That's the same principle as if you don't know something, you'll find out. If I've made a threat, you will absolutely bet your bottom dollar that I'll find a way to make it happen. Um, I think the larger point of that is just be wily. You, you know, you are you are the boss. You're the leader in that room. Um, yeah. It, what you say goes. I'm turning that into right. a positive of what you say goes. And if you're saying something's going to happen, they need to believe that that's going to happen. And that all comes down to your classroom presence and, and you being the boss, you being the person that commands that respect in that room. I had a whole yeah. class um, moan to me that I'd given them all my, like our, the policy at the school was minus five for bad behavior, plus five for good behavior. And I had said at the end of the lesson that their behavior was so poor that the whole class was going to get a minus five each. And then their normal teacher came back and I put this in the email to um, them to say that this had happened. And the amount of moaning that I got off students who were like, you never told us this, you never. And it's like, I did at the end of the lesson when none of you were clearly listening. So that's what happens. Now I made the threat. And it's carried out, and therefore you have to live with it. Absolutely. The consequences of your actions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had um, I've, years, you know, as I say, over the years, I've heard colleagues threaten people with all sorts of stuff, you know. Even, you know, I'm going to get you excluded, and you're thinking, really? Do you think you've got the power to do that? And do you think it's going to work? So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. I know I, as a young teacher... There was a kid pushed into the front of the dinner queue when I was on dinner duty. And I he wouldn't go to the back of the queue. And I said, if you don't go back to the dinner queue, I'm going to make sure you can never eat in the canteen again. 
And he said, no, you won't. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Actually, I can't, can I? <laughs> and it was a lesson learned for me. Never threaten something Absolutely. that I know I can't do. On that, Which brings us really... Oh, go on, Laura. I was going to say, though, on that note, I... this is more bad advice, unfortunately. But I, <laughs> I did have or a line manager who threatened that they would get children kicked out of boarding and they were like it's fine I'll just make something up to get you kicked out and it's a bit like "Mm, pretty sure you shouldn't do that that's not (laughs) it's not how this is working yeah Yeah. that's see, and then that's a sign that you've lost that command haven't you you've lost that control if you have to make something up straws there yeah this is a brilliant one, actually. And I, again, confession time, I'm laying myself on the line here. I have done this and I have done this more than once. And I really hope it's something I stop doing. Never punish the entire class for the actions of a few. I have hands up said, right, you're all losing your break. That's it. I've had enough. You're all losing your break. And there are the majority of the kids who have been really good and just sat and done what they're supposed to do. Just look at me absolutely appalled. And afterwards, I've reflected and gone, what a terrible thing to do. Like, why did I do that? What did it achieve? But it is excellent advice. And one day I will be mature enough (laughs) to follow that really excellent piece of advice. I don't think you'll find many teachers who've never used that. And that's the thing. And everyone does it knowing this is really bad. But, you know, it'll, it'll probably still be there 30, 40 years' time. You never know. That might be the last thing I ever say in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, my very fa- last lesson I ever teach, that's, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> just end like I'll, that. I'll, just I'll drop just, the mic yeah. and walk out. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah, just want to get out first for once. I'm glad that, I'm glad that that is good advice because I and that other people have ignored it because I used to use that like so much because the amount of pressure that then the the children who have behaved put on the ones who aren't behaving is incredible like because you don't even have to tell them anything they will just go absolutely mad if they think that they're losing out on something because of someone else yeah and a really good way actually to pull it back is if you have done that and decided to punish the entire class when actually it's not is tell them they can earn it back yeah so I've quite often said that going you know we've got 35 minutes left we can pull this round we can we can get break time back Um, and part of that's been to save me from having to follow through (laughs) on that terrible decision that I've made but it really the peer pressure you're right really really works in that situation no do you know I have I have had one it wasn't even that long ago it was a couple of years ago maybe where we, <laughs> I said to the class, right, you, you're all staying behind. Immediate thing of why they say that. And the two or three kids who've been really disrupting the lesson, they just walked out. I just looked, looked at everyone else left. I was like, well, there's no point you guys staying, is there? So <laughs> off you come. Thankfully, it's a rarity. Yeah, definitely. Um, marking. Now, there are a few things on here about marking, and I'm just going to roll them up into one big thing. Marking is... It is, it's the eternal thing that you'll never do enough of. You'll never do it well. You'll never do it right. You'll never do what everybody wants you to do. You'll never use enough colored pens or enough stickers. And every week there will be a new marking thing that you're supposed to do. Um, yeah. Marking 
is not the sign. Good marking is not the sign of a good teacher. If you're spending more time marking than you are teaching, you're not doing it right um, because you're supposed to be teaching. And if marking is taken over your life, you need to take a step back. So I think my overall kind of bit of good advice, which is pulling a lot of different threads from these three or four bits of good advice about marking is it is not the most important thing you're going to do with your time. Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on are on there, Paul. I mean, yeah, yes, I, I get, I get marking. You know, year eleven practice mocks is slightly different than yeah. um, comprehension questions from a year seven. You know, there is context in that, but by and large, keeping your books up to date and looking pretty is not the priority in most teachers' lives. I quite like um, peer marking. I find peer that marking's more... excellent. Yeah, yeah I'm a massive fan of peer marking. <laughs> You don't have to do the work, but also I feel like it reinforces that learning for them Definitely. Without, without your effort going into it, really. Yeah, yeah. This is, and they love it what? as well because it's yeah, responsibility, yeah. isn't it? They love that. And I've, I always find um, that they take a lot of care on it because they understand the importance of, of kind of stepping up for their colleagues. Mm. You know, they don't want to do a poor job of marking and feedback and because I quite often do feedback like um, a checklist have they done this, that, and the other, and then tell them one thing they've yeah. done well and one thing you think they can improve on. And by and large, students really, really take care when they do that because they do yeah. understand the importance of what they say um, to somebody and how that's going to affect them, and they want to do the job well nine times out of ten. So, yeah, I'm a massive – keep that under your hat because peer marking is, I find, massively successful. I think you're right, and I've just had a big smile on this and remembered – uh, a new uh, supply of green pens arrived on Friday. So <laughs> it's purple in my school. Is it? Oh. Yeah, it's purple. Now we were green as well. Oh, there we go. Green because we needed. Apparently, it had to be in neutral colour, and red and green are too fixed as kind of good and bad. So we needed oh. to go neutral. Apparently, wow. purple is quite a hard colour to get a hold of, though. Uh, well. Probably not. There was lots of it available, which makes me Ooh. think that most people use red and green. Yeah, ah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but people have bought all the red and green pens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Purple, so yeah. purple's like the nice middle ground that no one else is buying. <laughs> so what do you think about marking, Paul? As somebody who does have a lot of experience in the, in the classroom, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, it's, do you know what? I can sort of see it coming full circle again, really. I think... If we're talking about advice, there's conflicting advice, isn't there? So what I would say is when I first started teaching, the best advice I got was to make sure you're on top of your marking because everything else will fall into place if you keep up to date with it. But then you've also got to bear in mind that, um, and there was someone, sorry, a name escapes you now, there was someone who sent in and said, um, the good advice is to remember that your marking will never be finished and not to beat yourself up. So how many times you... you, you I was Tabitha McIntosh said that. It was, that's who it was, yeah, that's correct. Well, thanks for that, right? Um, yeah, you clean, sometimes you clean the decks, don't you? you have a, and you have literally a few hours, maybe a day or two, where you think, wow, I've cleared it all. And then the next day, it's essay time or whatever. So essentially, the advice for me is... Is basically not, not not to beat yourself up, like you say, and um, not to not to not not to, for it to. I think your advice you gave before this was really good, 
which is not to make it the be all and end all of your whole existence. It's, it's, is it productive? Does it work? And there's so many debates that have been on, on, you know, teacher talk radio about this that in, in be better detail than I can go into now. But the ultimate thing is, is this helping the students? If it's mm -hmm. not, then, you know, and obviously you've got school policies to follow as well, but yeah, that's, that's how, that's how I would summarize it. Definitely. Yeah. If it's just putting ink on paper, what are you doing it for? Yeah, exactly. Who, who, mm. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to what you said about lesson planning, Paul. You know, you're writing all those beautiful lesson plans that no one's ever going to see. Um, yeah. Who's going to look through every single page of your students' textbooks, uh, exercise books, to see how much purple pen there is? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I mean, we're, we're doing an awful lot of mock exams now at year 11. And we've agreed because we've got so many to do in such a short time, we're literally doing it as if we are working as an examiner for a board. So it's mm -hmm, literally, mm -hmm. right, putting a number on a page. But it's so difficult to train yourself out of not correcting spellings or addressing, mm -hmm. you know, um, misunderstandings and things like that. But, but yeah, I think coming through the advice is basically think about what you're marking for, what you, you know, what you're trying to achieve with it. And, You'll, you'll find your time's better spent that way. Yeah, I actually, that's reminded me of a really excellent piece of advice that I had, um, is when you're marking a volume of, for example, an essay, rather than doing, um, like you say, trying to put all the corrections in, find the top six common errors that you're getting yes. in, in, yeah. a, um, in that essay and put them on the board and create your feedback lesson around those six errors. And all you do is write, say, if number one is spellings, write number one on yeah. the top of the page. Um, and if, you know, yeah. four is misunderstanding a quote, put one and four. And then you don't have to do lots of individual work. You create kind of six like mini bits of feedback or yeah. six mini tasks. And then you just say to the student, right, you're, you've got one, two and four today. You've got one, two and five. Um, and I've yeah. done that a couple of times and I quite like that. Um, it doesn't work for every group, yeah. but I do find that reduced some of the feedback load um, for the extended writing pieces. Yeah, I did actually find yourself writing the same phrases over and over again. Mm -hmm. So what I used to mm -hmm. do, uh, well, I say used to do, we still do it. We have a tick list that gets stuck into the book and it's just basically you, you pick up 10 you know misunderstandings a student might have for that piece and you, you tick three that you want them to address mm -hmm. and you've got a little space for other so it, it it's it's all sorts of marginal gains isn't it if you save mm -hmm. 30 40 seconds here and there it all adds up to to a bigger block of time doesn't it so yeah definitely. yeah there's a lot to take from that yeah. Um, the next few I'm going to group together under one heading because I think they're all broadly yeah. getting to the same thing and that's respect. So we've got things about talking to um, non-teaching staff the same as teaching staff, um, yeah. saying smiling and good morning to, to your colleagues. And I think that all, all really boils down to, to respect. Um, yeah. You know, people who aren't teachers aren't less valuable because they don't teach um, and I think that's something that's really changed recently um, with the rise of, you know, HLTAs and cover supervisors and, and those ranks that maybe didn't exist, yeah. um, you know, earlier in some people's careers. But I always kind of think and I saw a, a quote on Facebook and I don't want to say that I live my life by Facebook, but I thought it was really <laughs> apt. It was um, 
you should judge the quality of somebody's character based on how they treat people when they think no one's looking. Mm. And I think that's really important because everybody can be nice to people um, when you think somebody's there judging you or everyone can perform the perfect lesson when Ofsted's in the room. Um, But it's when you've got nothing to gain from it and when there's nobody there, that's how you should be judged by the content of your character, really. Um, You know, I have seen students purposely walk through corridors um, making as much mess as possible just after a cleaner's cleaned the, the corridor, yeah. um, knowing that that's just been done. And I, I've given them a one-day exclusion because I just think mm. it's an absolute, utter, utter lack of respect. Um, and I think that's massive because you never go know when the person that you're currently disrespecting is going to be the person that you need the most. Um, and yeah, it's also just absolutely. not a great life lesson for kids. If you don't treat everybody respectfully then mm-hmm. how are they going to learn to be respectful and how are they going to respect you and themselves i just think it's 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 a basic that sometimes gets lost um but yeah just treat everyone kindly because why wouldn't you yeah. well that's um i, I did an assembly yes. last year where there was a quote from einstein a similar thing which is Basically, he will speak to the cleaner who cleans out his lab the same as he will speak to the head of the university because everyone has a job to play all equally, basically. You know, if the guy doesn't clean out his lab, then he can't do his job. But there's, there's a few other ways, isn't it? There's a few other things without, um, without, without jumping on your list. There was, there was, I think there was someone was saying about, um, and, I, and I actually, when he said this, it, it really resonated with me. Just a, a simple good morning to a colleague. There's some staff I've seen who you sort of feel like saying we're on the same side, and yet they don't even acknowledge your existence. I find that mm-hmm. kind of bizarre in in a career that's so based on sort of relationships. Yeah, definitely. And I think relationships are colleague to colleague as well as colleague to student, isn't there? Um, yeah. I yeah, was students won't always, always say hello. No, and I I, yeah. I try and go kill them with kindness. So if they don't yeah. say hello when I smile and say hello to them, I will literally stop in front of them until they smile <laughs> and say hello. I've never done that, but yeah. Because I just, I just think, you know, there's a lot that we can't teach them and there's a lot that we can't model them, but there's so much that we yeah. can. And yeah. just that, that basic level of respect and common courtesy, I think you know i need english results to to keep my job but if i could if there's one thing a child remembers me for it's that i always smiled at them and said good morning yeah. and start you know that's the kind of things that i want to be remembered by um that i just instilled yeah. in them that, that yeah. was something important absolutely but it's also like i say there's uh, students uh, sorry the students new, new staff who particularly particularly um younger students start uh, younger teachers sorry starting their career might sort of feel a little bit intimidated by it all. And I just sort of think you should be sort of making eye contact with your colleagues and, you know, sort of trying to enter into that team kind of spirit, if you like. Definitely. Laura, how you've had, you've said you've had some quite difficult experiences. Can you offer us any insights in this? Yeah, I, I have had instances where my line manager will sort of 
undermine me in front of the student. So we, I believe that a room got locked because it was left messy and a student wanted something out from it. And I, you know, I was playing the team game of, no, that, that room is locked because unfortunately it was left messy. You know, you can't just go and get something from it. It's, it's the whole point of the punishment or else the room will be unlocked. And then they sort of went, oh, no, just unlock it. And you're like, we are all on the same team. And it's just, mm-hmm. uh, I find though, unfortunately, where I worked, it was a situation of too many sort of, uh, too many senior staff and not enough people on the ground. I'm trying, I can't even explain it really well to me. And I'm trying to put it into better words. But yeah, yeah you, it's like too many chiefs. That was the phrase. Not enough Indians. <laughs> I was like, can I use that? Um, yeah, I've I've had some quite difficult, and I think as well there is an expectation of um, I'm the same as you. I want, if anything, I hope that the children have learned politeness from me. So whenever they say thank you, which was a big thing to me, I would always say you're welcome or. You yeah. know, to to let them know that I had heard, or if they said that they were sorry, it was always okay. I forgive you, and you know, really making sure that those interactions we understood each other, where each other was coming from. Um, and if I had to tell someone off, it was I would always go that I show you respect. I expect that same level back. If you don't show me that respect, how can we have a relationship? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like that. And I was I was criticised for not yelling a lot. But I don't I don't feel like you necessarily have to yell at children to. But no, that's my think, personal. Well, do you know that's 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 a really good piece of advice that um, a pastoral deputy I worked for for a few years earlier on in my career uh, when I was a pastoral leader myself. Very good point, and she she'd never she'd never um, defend children doing this, but she said, "How would you expect children to react?" If you've got an adult screaming in the face, yeah, it, it, what what you you know you shout back because they're shouting at you, and it it, it is difficult, and it's it, it's it's a strange sort of. If I give any advice, is that not to go nuclear basically straight away because it's yeah, and that actually ties in. There's a really good psychological theory. It's called Batari's box. Batari's box, um, right. and it's basically action meets behavior meets behavior meets action, um, and it's essentially right. that. It's whatever, and it's really look good. And there's a model, and I'm sure a Google will bring up yeah. a, um, a a really nice image of it. Um, but particularly if you're new to the classroom, and I think that was an advantage of me being somewhere else before, is I didn't have that. Oh, I don't know how to handle this behaviour situation. I was kind of a lot more calm about it than maybe some yeah. kind of early career teachers. Is that if you go in at the top, you've got nowhere to go because mm. you're already yeah. there, um, and there needs to be there needs to be a measured escalation depending on the response that you're getting from your action, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, um, you must have had that in the police, I imagine. Yeah, that. absolutely, definitely. You know, if I go into a situation and just start yelling because everybody else is yelling, then it just becomes a massive yelling party, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I always found a, a, top, a, a top tip for classroom management, and I'm not saying it works all the time, otherwise I would be a millionaire selling this stuff <laughs> in, in conferences. But if I just talk slightly lower than normal speaking voice, it really helps yeah. because yeah. 
they have to they have to there's something instinctive about having to wanting to listen to somebody that's talking quietly um even if you don't think you want to you do find yourself wanting to um so i almost talk not a stage above a whisper and i find that really calms a classroom down a because they're trying to listen to me um and b because i'm really calm like really really calm even if inside i'm absolutely seething i will be incredibly calm and that really really does help and if you use the batari's box model it gives you a lot of room to then go up several gears so that's a top tip talking less than your talking voice if you want to try and calm a room down sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't have you ever i've i've used it where if i can hear any bit of noise i just stop Mm -hmm. and i don't even look at i don't look at the person making noise i just stop and i just i don't even say anything because at the start i say my number one rule is if i'm talking you're not talking yeah yeah, definitely carry that on and actually, that's really good that you said that. And that shows a lot of kind of maturity and self-confidence because in my last observation, I did exactly that. And I was told by my observer, who was the head of teaching and learning, that it was a really difficult skill to master, to have the confidence to just sit yeah. in, in silence um, and it's just to sweet. just to allow that to, to kind of happen. Um, so if that's something you're practicing already, then that's a massive positive to have that self-confidence. I find that it sort of worries them because then they're like, what is going on? Like, there's nothing, you know, and it creates that sort of, there's a little bit of worry. Obviously, I don't want them to feel worried, but there is a little bit of freaking out sometimes. Definitely. Especially if you combine that with the Paddington hard stare. Yes. (laughs) Now, we are rapidly running out of time, so I am going to end the last bit. Um, The very last thing which ties really nicely to what we've been saying all evening. Um, Mrs. P has said that we should always remember that we are the most important resource in the classroom. And I completely agree with that. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would second that third it, whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's absolutely, it's, it's, it's one of those things that like you say, it's, um, it relates to what we were saying before, wasn't it? About the, the five, 10, 15 minute kind of rule is, the reason you're there and and actually said think about what i said on friday i actually said to the students it's why i get paid so well (laughs) and they they sort of look at you like i thought teachers were on rubbish money and that's 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 one of the final final bit of advice i had to for me is is never run the profession down in front of the students like that you know is i was talking to some people last week it occurred to me that some students think that teachers I was talking about university. And, oh, you went to university? I was like, yeah, all your teachers went to university. And they looked a bit shocked. I was mm-hmm. like, well, what? Did, they genuinely thought our oh, teachers get bad pay because they're always going on about it. And um, and so, therefore, it's just something like a job, the advertising, well, for me, the echo or something like that. And, and anyone who fancies having a go at teaching does it. And it's, it's, it's a very strange thing, isn't it? So, absolutely, we, you know, Although, um, although we've got to remember to be respectful of everyone else, at the end of the day, we are the most important resource in that classroom, regardless of books, projectors, and everything. We're the ones who uh, who are passing it on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a tell. Yeah, and I think that's that's it from that's it from the list. That, yeah, that's yeah. my top my top tips. 
I was going to say, yeah, we did well to squeeze all those in. I wasn't confident after the news that we'd be able to get them all in, but we've we've got them in. Brilliant. <laughs> so I think, yeah, so we're so we're, we're coming to the end now. So all it, all it leaves for me is to say, uh, Laura, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for um, having me. As a, non, as a non-qualified teacher, <laughs> I think it's been really useful to hear different bits of advice and know what not to listen to and what more to listen to. <laughs> No, it's been great as well to hear. I've, I've honestly never really had the um, the insights of someone who's who's taught at a boarding school, you know, qualified or not. It's 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 you've got some experience there that the vast majority of teaching staff haven't got. So that's 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 great, you know. It's oh, and and, I'm, and hopefully, um, come September, you'll uh, get back on the PGC and smash it. And uh, you know, all I say is keep keep listening to to all the all the people on here who've. Uh, you, you know, the only two happy to help. And also, obviously, my co-host, Alicia, thank you very much. I know yeah. it's quite a short notice. So thank you for thank having you. me again, and it was nice to talk to you as well, Laura. Really wish oh, you well. Thank you, and you. Right, okay, so I'll wrap things up. Um, yeah, like I say, it's gone really quickly. There's a lot of good advice in here, and um, also uh, a lot of advice... I was going to say, I was, I was trying to think of a clever way to say this, the bad advice is also worth listening to just so you can discount it basically from the future. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully, well, I will. I will speak to you all in a month's time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.